Well, this is the Sunday that I tell you all the secrets. Those of you who have actually come today, you get the goods today. You get, it's like the, the back of the, uh, the textbook with all the answers. Just Well, almost 40 years ago, we were wrapping up a week-long beach vacation with several other families and sharing the same rental house. And the last morning was busy and chaotic, as you can imagine, especially with a lot of kids, house full of young children, and getting everyone packed and fed and rooms cleaned and laundry. And don't forget the swimsuits on the clothesline. And where's the aloe? And has anyone seen the keys to the car? And then the question, has anyone seen Stephen? Somewhere in all the chaos, my younger brother, only two and a half years old at the time, had vanished. A search that began through bedrooms and bathrooms became a search in closets and underneath beds and behind couches, which turned into a search around the house and inside the cars stacked with luggage, and then a search of the beach. I'm trying, I was only about five at the time, so I'm trying to imagine my mother like the mom in Home Alone when she's on the plane and realizes and shouts, Kevin! Only this time it was, Stephen! Someone walked to the end of the beach access and they looked down the crowded beach in both directions. And finally, my mother spotted Stephen doddering along about a quarter mile down the beach. And she said, the only reason I could see him is because he was wearing a bright red swimsuit. (laughs) Many of you probably have a similar story to tell about a child or a sibling or friend or maybe even a parent. Losing track of a young child only to find them much later is the stuff of blockbuster films. But let's take this this story and add a day's journey in one direction and then another and then another and then the discovery that a child is missing and then what did Mary and Joseph do? Did they turn around the whole caravan or go alone? Did they have to spend a night on the road resting their animals instead of just going straight back? With Mary refusing to sleep and pacing outside the tent and retracing her steps and probably blaming herself? Or did she and Joseph argue along the way? I thought you had him. Well, I thought you had him. It took them three days. They finally found him. Jesus, what on earth? Why have you done this to your parents? We have been searching for you in great anxiety, the scripture says, which is another way of saying we've been worried sick about you. And where had Jesus been this whole time? In the temple. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And answering some of their questions. The more we learn about this moment in Jesus' young life, the more fascinating it becomes. Because what Jesus was probably hearing from these temple rabbis was content that likely sounded a lot like what we read in the wisdom tradition of the Old Testament. Think of the book of Job, of Psalms, of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, everyone's favorite. (laughs) 
When you're really down, go and open your Bible and don't read Ecclesiastes. Or do. It's your Bible. Song of Solomon, add to that list. Jesus was listening to wise teachers, articulate wise sayings, precepts, parables. He was listening to wise teachers use common language that everybody could understand. He was absorbing the very kind of content that he would later augment and refine and use in transformative ways. We may even say that Jesus in this moment is our earliest picture of wisdom herself in the flesh Enjoying wisdom for wisdom's sake. The Episcopal priest and author Cynthia Bourgeau teaches us that we cannot understand the fullness of Jesus' identity if we limit him to the two categories that in Western Christianity we usually assign to Jesus. And that is one, the prophet, or the other, the priest. We always hear that kind of the two sides of that coin. Prophet or priest, ministers learn that they can be priestly, they can be prophetic, You're probably familiar with that language, but Bourgeau says that there is a third type of authority, not so much an official category, but still a prominent one in the Near East and the culture in which Jesus grew up. This is the category of wisdom teacher. So now prophet, priest, and wisdom teacher. Wisdom teacher spoke not so much in prophetic pronouncements and divine decrees, but in pithy sayings, Bourgeau says, puzzles, parables. They spoke in the language of story rather than law. I bet if we could sit with young Jesus in this moment, we could hear him picking up on these stories about seeds and harvesting, yeast and dough, day laborers, corrupt managers, enemies who become friends, and even lost and found children. Here in the temple, Jesus is beginning to pick up on and construct and refine the ways he will reveal God's dream through the very everyday language of Proverbs and Beatitudes and parables. Here in the temple, God with us is learning to speak our language. Here in the temple, wisdom is becoming wisdom. And I believe this is what Mary begins to see. Luke says, after all this occurs, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary's gone from pondering to treasuring. She treasured all these things in her heart. So imagine after she squeezes the life out of her child with repeated hugs and finally gains her composure and dries her tears, she steps back to the periphery of the temple gathering and begins to see what's really happening. Now, don't forget that to this point, Mary may not only remember, I think she just probably only remembers what the angel Gabriel tells her, predicts to her about her son. This is what Gabriel describes. Remember, he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's going to be quite a tall order of an occupation. But I believe what Mary is treasuring in her heart is that Jesus is going to reign in a very different kind of way. She can see that he's intent on searching the depths of the heart of God. 
that he was after his father's own heart, that he would be great, but his greatness would come from divine depths. Today, we are sadly saying goodbye to one of the saints, Desmond Tutu, who died in the early hours of this morning former Anglican Archbishop of Cape Town, South Africa. He, along with others like Nelson Mandela and Peter Story, they led the charge against apartheid when no one knew how that story was going to turn out. They were in the midst of that. With childlike joy and um, a maniacal laugh, (laughs) if you ever heard Tutu laugh, you would wonder, who is this guy and how did he get so much authority? How did they let him in? And he had a fondness for sweets so much that his wife would make fun of him. When people would ask what he wanted to eat, she would tell them, just think of whatever a child would want and give that to him. (laughs) And he had a wide open heart. He could step into the prophetic role and the priestly role. But he was perhaps at his best when he stepped into the wisdom teacher role. When he stood up to racism and violence and homophobia And when he helped lead the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he led a whole country to, as he said, look the beast in the eye. And once while Tutu was preaching at St. George Cathedral, the South African police, the security police, this is a nasty bunch. Those are some rough dudes. Well, they broke into the service and they stood around perimeter with their notepads and their their tape recorders. Can you imagine? (laughs) They just arrested Tutu and some other faith leaders a few weeks before. So imagine what's going on inside his his heart and his mind. Tutu acknowledged him. He he looked at him. He said, you are powerful. You are very powerful. It's the story the way that Jim Wallace tells it. He was there. He said, but I serve a God who cannot be mocked. And then he looked them in the eye and he said, since you have already lost, I invite you to come and join the winning side. Now, where did he get the nerve to say that? Well, I have learned in recent years that Tutu had a chapel in his backyard. He built it by hand. And every morning he would go out into his backyard and sit in his homemade chapel with Jesus and scripture and pray and sink down into the depths of God's own heart. This Christmas tide, may we sit with wisdom in the temple and in our Bible study groups and in our closets and in our sacred, quiet places, listening to his parables and puzzles and beatitudes and treasure these things.
in our hearts.